0: It's great to see you. Um, Well, as Steve referenced, we're in the run-up to Easter, and we've got a three-week mini-series that I wanted to uh, introduce to us this morning. But before we do that, um, I thought it might be worth just suggesting the idea that perhaps over the Easter period, you consider reading a Christian book to help deepen your walk with God and and make that part of your devotion over the Easter period. And you may not be aware of it, but we have um, an amazing little bookstore here at King's Arms. So it's available out on the far side of the foyer over there. It is small, but it is perfectly formed. And it's a great little bookstore. And so I want to just give you a range of uh, some books that you could get hold of either here or elsewhere that you might help sort of deepen your, your what we've got over the Easter period. So the first one I want to recommend is uh, this one. It's called Jesus the Master by John Pollock and it's, it's written as a novel. So it's dead easy to read, um, very digestible. This would be a light bite and an easy, easy accessible book. Um, if this were food, this would be a bacon sandwich, okay? So you're going you're gonna to enjoy that, alright? Uh, but next and a bit further along uh, would be this one by N.T. Wright or Tom Wright. He writes under two different names. And um, this would be a a big sweeping look at the implications of Jesus' mission and ministry. And it's actually the inspiration for the mini-series that we're part of today. So I'd thoroughly recommend that one. It's a little bit more wordy and it's gonna take a little bit more to digest this. So this would be steak and chips, okay? There's stuff to, to chew on here and you're really gonna enjoy that. Um, but further along uh, would be this one here. This is called the Glory of Christ by Peter Lewis. You can just tell a little bit about it by the sort of the thickness of it. Um, this wouldn't be a bacon sandwich. Um, it wouldn't be steak and chips. This would be Christmas dinner with all the trimmings and cheese and biscuits. That's what that's what this one is. It's it's rich. It's dense. It's deep. You wanna you wanna really chew on it. And uh, when you're finished reading this book, as with Christmas dinner, probably all you want to do is slump on the sofa and hold your belly. Um, maybe watching you know, The Great Escape on TV or something like that. That's all you're going to be able to do after reading this. So there's a whole range of different books available in the bookstore, and I thoroughly recommend it. We've got new books. We've also got second-hand books from as cheap as 50 pence. And uh, our lovely volunteers staff that. So do take advantage of that. I'm going to leave these books down at the front here so you can take a look at them. and, And let me know if you want to borrow them. You'd be welcome to borrow them from me. Okay? But before I sort of get carried away promoting books, I probably should have been in marketing. Before I get carried away with that, why don't I just pray for us? And then we're going to look at a Bible passage together. Okay? So, Father, we just want to thank you so much for the privilege of being together. Just as Steve said, thank you for the freedoms we enjoy in this country that we can gather, that we can speak about you, we can sing about you. Father, we want to make use of those freedoms for all we're worth, Lord God. Father, we want to enjoy this time with you. Thank you for all that you are doing this morning. And Father, we make our hearts available to you. Come, keep speaking to us. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is the most magnificent figure in all of human history. And Father, we want to take time today savouring who he is. Thank you, Father, there's always fresh, fresh revelation that eternity is going to be about more and more discovering who you are. Father, we pray would you continue that process this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, short little passage for us this morning that I'm then going to refer back to in a little while. You'll find it in Mark chapter 1 if you want to follow it through in the Bibles on your phone, or I understand that the Bible's now also available in book form, Um, so if you brought a Bible with you. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me here. And it's the story of a man with leprosy who encounters Jesus, okay? And it goes like this. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, notice that, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. In other words, go and get this checked out thoroughly. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. However, the man can't contain what's happened to him. He's just too excited. And despite the stern warning, but the man went out and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon gathered around Jesus. And he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Great. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard or received some news or information that you know is just going to affect your life from now on. Um, Perhaps sometimes it's in the form of a personal piece of information that just affects you and those around you. You know, you get the phone call to say the medical test is clear, or your visa has come through, or you've got the job. Or perhaps sometimes the information comes in the form of an event. Uh, Something happens. I remember when Noah was just very little, and he was at the age where he was just about to crawl. And uh, Emma and I were sort of willing him on for what felt like weeks to get him to, you know, just, you can do it. And then suddenly, one day, he just got the knack of it and started crawling across the lounge floor. And there's this moment of rejoicing. And then that second moment that comes to all parents as it suddenly dawns on you, oh no, we're going to have to move everything in the house and everything's going to have to shift up three foot. Sometimes the the news is personal in nature, but other times you hear some news and you realize this isn't just going to affect me and my life. This is going to affect things on a massive scale, maybe even nationally or internationally. I think those of us who are old enough, uh, most of us will remember where we were when we heard the first reports about the planes flying into the Twin Towers. I certainly know where I was then. And I think many of us in that moment instinctively knew the world's never going to be the same again after this. It was news that changed everything. But of course, it's not always the bad news, not always the negative stuff. The photos coming up here on the screen are from May 8, 1945, um, the day when news finally broke out that Nazi Germany had surrendered and they'd signed the unconditional surrender document that meant the the formal cessation of hostilities in Western Europe, VE Day. And people poured out onto the streets. Even, um, Even after dark, thousands went into central London. And after years of blackout, now floodlights were brought in specially for the occasion. There were fireworks, there was dancing in the fountains, there was community singing and people kissing strangers. Bit like Bedford on a Saturday night. There was lots of that. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm just joking. There was this sense of jubilation and celebration. One reporter wrote this, and I, I love the, the Britishness of this. Mr. Churchill was greeted by cheering crowds as he made his way to Whitehall and appeared on the flag bedecked balcony of the Ministry of Health. God bless you all. I can't do a Winston Churchill, I'll try. God bless you all, he said over the loud... That's the best I can do. He said over the loudspeaker, which was greeted with further cheering and waving from the crowd and a round of, for he's a jolly good fellow. I just love... That's so wonderfully British, isn't it? There was this unrestrained joy amongst the people. This was life-changing news. And historic victory had been won, and the world would never be the same again. And in the same way... The big idea across these next three weeks is that the gospel that Jesus embodies is not just good moral teaching that we should try and live up to. It's not just good advice, but rather really good news. It's news which changes everything. Everything across the course of human history is different. There was a before, and now there's an after. Whether you've known Jesus for decades, or you're not sure you know him at all, Jesus Christ, you have to admit, is the preeminent figure across the past 2,000 years of human history. Jesus' arrival on planet Earth is like the starting gun for God's rescue plan for mankind. Literally everything has changed. Even the Roman Empire, the most powerful military force of the day that the world had ever known, within one generation was overcome with this news about Jesus. And of course, to look at the media today, you could be forgiven for thinking that Christianity is just this small, shrinking little enclave of isolated church communities around the place, when the truth is that by the latest statistics from 2010, Christianity is by far the world's largest faith. And of the seven billion people on the planet, 2.2 billion people would say that they're Christians. There are now more Christians alive in the world today than there have ever been in the totality of human history. It's an ever-expanding kingdom. And so over the next couple of weeks, we want to take a fresh look at this character and nature of Jesus because he's so worth our attention. Next week, as Steve may have referenced, we're going to be looking at the death of Jesus. And then following that, appropriately enough, on Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking at the resurrection. But this morning, we wanted to start by taking the very briefest of snapshots of Jesus' life. Because have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just appear out of the desert, age 33, be tried, then crucified, and die for our sins? Why didn't that happen? Because that would have been enough to get us into heaven. Jesus would have still died to redeem us. Well, I suggest to you it's because Jesus' life teaches us something that his death can't. Think of it this way. Jesus' death and resurrection gives you access to the Father... But Jesus' life gives you purpose. It gives us a model as to how to live our lives. Many of us long to know what's God's purpose for my life. What does he have for me? Well, in Jesus, we've got a living example of how he wants us to live our lives. Uh, Peter Lewis, the the author of the the Christmas dinner book, he he writes this. "Uh, There could hardly be a more relevant or urgent truth for our times than this. We know so much and yet know so little and all because our starting point was wrong. Our data banks are loaded with technical know-how, while our century has become bankrupt of know-why. That's so true, isn't it? We we don't know why. We don't know what what the purpose is for us. Well, Jesus' life speaks into us and gives us the know-whys we're here. Gives us the know-whys we're to do certain things and live certain ways. It reveals a model for you and I to follow. So this morning, just for the sake of brevity, I want to just pull up two things. Two implications to acknowledge from this story in terms of the way that we are to live our lives. The first, first revelation, really, is that Jesus' life reveals to us what the Father is like. John 14 says this He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus steps out into our world to live a life showing what the Father's like. So many people wonder, what's God like? Well, then look at Jesus. I read um, recently about a lady called Dorothy Sayers. I don't know if you've you've heard of her. Um, She wrote mystery stories, a bit like like the Sherlock Holmes stories, that kind of thing. And she was a remarkable lady. She was one of the first women allowed to study at Oxford uh, before they even dished out degrees to women. Uh, She described herself as not particularly glamorous, but she was known to be sharp-witted and intelligent. After Oxford, she started writing these mystery stories, and they proved very popular. And she created them around one central character, a character called Lord Peter Whimsey, an aristocrat, who had solved these mysteries. And she wrote several of these stories, but after a while, she realized that this principal character was starting to lead a bit of a sad, solitary existence, and she didn't want him to develop that way. She wanted to bring him a bit more to life. So to keen to bring out his personality, what she did is she introduced another character into the plot, a lady called Harriet Vane as to kind of act like a foil to Peter. Harriet, in the stories, was a remarkable lady, one of the first women at Oxford, not particularly glamorous, but sharp-witted and intelligent. Oh, and also wrote detective novels. Remind you of anyone? What had Dorothy Sayers done? Well, she'd identified a need, and then she wrote herself into the narrative. Put another way, the author stepped into the story. When we look at Jesus, we're seeing how the author has stepped into his story. He identified a need and came himself to resolve that need. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Some people refuse to follow God because they think of him like the big headmaster in the sky. When the reality is, we see him here, physically, emotionally present with the lepers and the outcasts. In verse 41, we see him moved with compassion. I'd love to have seen not just the words, but the expression on his face as he said that. He is Emmanuel, God with us. As John 1 puts it, logos, uh, the word, meaning the total message, became flesh. The total message of who God is and what he wants to do on planet Earth became flesh to communicate with us. You want to know what God's like? Well, in Jesus, you get an exact representation of the Father. His character, his nature, the things he loves, and the things he hates. The way he feels about the poor, and justice, and riches, and a hundred other different things. Jesus has pulled back the veil and stepped right into the story. You know... Uh, I've been on staff here at King's Arms for about 20 years or so. I know, I know. I'm, I look far too young to have been around that long, but it's, but it's true. And uh, in that time, I've got to see a lot of highs. Um, there have been numerous weddings that I've conducted. I have to say it that way, because if you say it, I've married a lot of people, it comes across wrong. <laughs> there have been numerous weddings that I have conducted, and uh, I've been able to witness the success of the King's Arms breeding program. Emma and I feel like we've done our bit. Um, over to the rest of you now, Um, we've seen God change literally hundreds of lives, and it's been beautiful to watch. There have been some real highs, but there have also been some real lows. Uh, I've sat with a lot of people uh, suffering over the years, incurable diseases, uh, people experiencing injustice of some kind. I've sat with people who are experiencing long-term unemployment or battling cancer. The tragedy of relationship breakdowns. I've sat with people who've got terribly sick children and many people grieving. Even just two weeks ago, I sat with someone who has very severe MS. And uh, he came and he arrived in an ambulance in a specially adapted wheelchair. He came to a healing meeting hoping that God would heal him. I sat with him for some time. And then at the end of the meeting, after we prayed for him, he left in the same specially adapted wheelchair wheelchair. Very often I don't have any clever words or easy answers for people. I just sit with them. And my observation is, you'd think with all that suffering, with all that's going on for those people, you'd think it would probably be the physical pain that they're enduring or the practical implications of the suffering they've got that would be the most difficult to handle. You'd think it would be those things, the the pain, and the, the poverty or the practical implications. But without doubt, from my experience sitting with lots of people over 20 years, I would say that the greatest challenge, the toughest aspect for people who are suffering is when they feel like no one else around them really understands. That's what's the hardest for them. It's this thought that no one else really gets it. That feeling of being isolated, alone in their suffering, that is the hardest part for so many. But sitting with those same people I've come to realize that whilst that's the greatest challenge that no one around here gets it, the greatest comfort to those very same people is they've experienced that God gets it, yes. that he gets it, he understands and that's of immeasurable comfort to them in the midst of their suffering. Perhaps above all else Easter shows us that we don't follow a distant, disinterested headmaster in the sky, but rather the God who steps into the pages of his own story to rescue us. As the son, of course, he knows what it's like to personally suffer unimaginable pain and isolation. But also, if you think about it, on the flip side, as the father, he also knows what it's like for someone he dearly loves to suffer that pain. He's experienced it from both sides of the equation. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is also to experience deep shame as he hung on the cross. He knows what it's like to be unjustly accused and he knows how it feels when your closest friends desert you. He understands singleness and he's acquainted with poverty and isolation. Jesus gets it. He gets you and your circumstances. Isaiah 53, three, I've got it on the screen, says this. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus gets it. I remember hearing about the story of a, a little boy who got injured in the playground and he cut his knee and he was, it was just floods of tears. And so the teacher sat him on some steps to one side in the playground. And uh, a little while later, the teacher turned around and noticed that there was a little girl sat next to him on the steps and so she walks across and she says to this little girl who sat beside this boy in floods of tears she says to the little girl well can I just ask what 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 are you doing and she said oh oh he's my friend I'm just sitting here to help him cry which I thought was terribly sweet what's the father like he's the one who comes and sits next to us and helps us cry but of course as poignant as that is the story doesn't end there It's not just that Jesus is kind and compassionate. He's not just a good listener. That's not the end of the story. He's also motivated to take action, to do something about our situation. Jesus is literally a man on a mission. And right there in this tiny little scripture that we read, in this little interaction, there's this clash of two kingdoms as the kingdom of leprosy comes head on with the kingdom of God. Verse 41 says this, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And the man, it says, is instantly healed. There's this contagious kingdom of love that drives head on on into the kingdom of leprosy. For those of you who don't know, um, leprosy is a bacterial infection which deadens people's nerve endings, particularly in the fingers and the toes, and eventually it leads to injury and permanent disfigurement. I can't show you the photos, they're too graphic in case there are children in the room. It's a terrible disease, and you may not realise it, but it's it's around even today. And every day, 600 people are diagnosed with the disease. And because of its contagious nature in first century Palestine, um, people would shun and keep away from anybody who was suffering with leprosy. People, the religious leaders included, were frightened. If they got too close, a little bit of leprosy might rub off onto them. A little bit this contagion might be caught. So they follow an avoidance strategy. It's like keep them at arm's distance in case you get contaminated. But what's so often the case with Jesus is it's not just what's going on in the physical, but it's what's going on in the spiritual as well. It's mirroring the same thing. Because it wasn't just that people would physically isolate people, they would socially and spiritually isolate those who are suffering. And the same mindset still applies today, doesn't it? Not necessarily just with disease, but with anything that might interfere or pollute us. Withdraw in order to remain pure and clean. That's so often the strategy. And to be honest, Christians can sometimes be the worst offenders for that. We'll make our church like this little fort, this this holy huddle, where we'll be safe and secure from the big big bad world, and then we'll have our Bible studies and hunker down, and then we'll, we'll hang on until one day we die and reach the safety and security of heaven everything will be all right. Except Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You see, heaven isn't a place to escape to. It's a kingdom to usher in. Heaven is a superior reality to bring in to our world. Revelation 21 and 22 describes what happens at the end of the story, and it says the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to earth. That's the end of the story. Romans 8.21 says that God's plan is not at the end of times just to scrap everything and then have planet Earth 2.0 or something like that, but rather to redeem this world. It's a renewal of planet Earth. And in the same way, Jesus, as he approaches this leper, is not thinking, oh, I hope some of this leprosy doesn't rub off on me. Jesus is thinking the kingdom of God is going to rub off on this leper. It's a completely different mindset. Just like VE Day, Jesus has a victory to broadcast to this man. Not just in words, but in action. If you like, Jesus is contagious. He's the carrier of good news. He's got this gospel and he's going to spread it wherever he goes. That's the life that he's modeling for us. Our destiny, people, is not to hang on and hope. We were born for more than that. Yes, there's bad news all around, troubling signs, I'll admit that. Yes, yesterday it was hard to tell from the news items which ones were April Fool's jokes and which ones were the real news. I get that. It is troubling, but please don't dig a bunker in your garden and fill it with cans of beans. That is not going to help us. It's not time to isolate ourselves. It's time to get amongst people. You and I are contagious with the kingdom of heaven. The Father longs to pour out who he is to the world, around him. In the big stuff and the small stuff, it all counts. We were on holiday last year and uh, as is our wont, we were in a fast food restaurant feeding the children. It's a fairly, fairly predictable pattern. And um, there's a mix up with this, with this order. And uh, the waitress, a lady in her mid-fifties, uh, comes over to us and uh, she spoke with a really strong accent and uh, she was very helpful and sorted out the order and everything. And uh, then I just took a moment and I thanked her for her kindness and told her how good she was at her job. I just said, you know, I just want you to know you are really good at your job. You've taken such good care of us. That's all I said. And as I did that, her eyes started to well up with tears. And suddenly everything poured out. She said, thank you so much. I've never heard anybody tell me that I'm good at my job. And then she, she just sat with us for a moment and told us her story. Um, she had, uh, she'd come from Eastern Europe and was qualified, I believe if I remember rightly, as a chemical engineer, so highly qualified lady, and her husband a university lecturer, but they'd been unable to find work. The jobs that they had had fallen through, and now she was forced to work in the fast food restaurant in order to just try and make ends meet. But she said to me that the trouble is I'm concerned that my accent means that I'm not very good at my job and that people don't understand me. And so, so, you know, we, we're using the, the, the napkins from the place to pass to her to dab her eyes as she's... Speaking to us, and we were able just to encourage her further. And we said to her, Look, it wasn't appropriate at the time. But we said, Look, as we leave, as we drive away, we're going to spend some time praying for you. It's just in the little things. Yeah, you know, most retail places they'll have little forms that you can fill out to give feedback about staff. I love filling those things out because it's an opportunity to send a little encouragement to somebody and maybe put God bless at the end or something like that. It's a small act. But it's the kingdom of God being contagious. A little bit of the kingdom of God is rubbing off in a fast food restaurant. You know, also with the stage of life that I'm in and the things that season of life and the things that are going on in my life, I don't have lots of spare emotional capacity if I'm honest. You know, I get home at the end of the day and there's not a lot of emotional energy left in the tank. And all I want to do is crash out and maybe watch a movie. So along with Gary and Ruth, we formed the King's Arms Movie Club yeah. to watch movies together, you know, to the glory of God, obviously. Um, we, we all have our cross to bear. And um, over the past few weeks, we've had a, just a couple of people come along who, who don't come to church. And uh, last time it was round at my house. And uh, we had a friend of a friend, and he was uh, just sat there with us. He came in, and uh, I think it's quite a difficult period in his life. And uh, we chatted and we ate far too much popcorn and watched a really funny movie. And that was it. But the King's Arms Movie Club is contagious with this kingdom of love. And just through warmth and hospitality, a little bit of the kingdom of God just rubbed off on that guy. I, I didn't speak to him about church. I didn't speak to him about anything spiritual. But the kingdom of love rubbed off on him. Which meant to flow with the natural and the supernatural in every interaction where we go. Sometimes it will be the dramatic things. I was at, um, down in Bournemouth last year at a conference and we had two days just talking about the love of the Father. And then in the final session, just, we're just worshipping. You know, I trimmed what I was saying. We just spent time in God's presence. We, we had someone come down the front. Uh, let me get this right. So first of all, someone come down the front um, talking about tinnitus that had suddenly appeared to go. Um, we had another person, I think it was double vision, and then finally we had this guy come down the front who said that um, he's, he's got one eye um, that's blind with what they call advanced macular degeneration, and uh, the other eye was good. And in worship, he, he got out a hanky and wiped his good eye, just because it was a little bit moist, he wiped his good eye, and then realized that even whilst he was wiping his good eye, he could still see. Um, and so he came down the front and told us his story. Fortunately, I was there with um, a, a, on the team as a GP. So I got him to sit down and just sort of verify and talk to him. And his wife was just jumping around. She was so excited. God seemed to open a blind eye. And the GP comes up to me and says, there's no natural explanation for what's just happened. Wow. The kingdom of heaven just rubbing off on a guy. I mentioned leprosy. In 1874, the world's first ever leprosy charity began. You'll never guess who started it. Two Christians named Wellesley and Alice Bailey back in 1874. There's a photo of them here on the screen. They're a Christian couple who, like Jesus, would just move with compassion and as a result relocated to the Punjab in northern India. She put down her her knitting. (laughs) They packed their bags and a little bit of the kingdom of heaven rubbed off on the Punjab. Let me finish with this in case you missed it as Steve shared it. This is the extract from the letter that, from someone who came on one of the King's Arms Alpha courses. I would like to say a big thank you for the time and effort you put in with us over the past four years. For, but, but, beg your pardon, four weeks. <laughs> uh, that was a long Alpha course. Um, four last four weeks. Four weeks. I really enjoyed the time and the way we could just relax and talk freely about the Bible and Jesus himself. I'd like to say here and now that I've asked Jesus into my life and look forward to coming to your church myself and spend time with you all. I have always had something missing in my life, but I think I've now found it. Thanks again. And of course, what made that letter all the more special, as Steve said, is that it came from Bedford Prison. Because this contagious kingdom of love reaches there too. People, the author has stepped into the story. Everything is different now. He's Emmanuel, the God who identifies with us. But more than that, he's got a victory to broadcast. And he's chosen to communicate it through you and me.